Welcome to this special edition of Cattlecast, where we bring you highlights from a past BCBA Congress. In this episode, Colin Lindsay from the 2018 Congress talks about antimicrobial reduction, asking, are the days of retail practice over? Um, so, antimicrobials, past, present, future. I was approached uh, from my view on antimicrobials, really, uh, and I thought, how am I going to answer this question? I think I'm going to draw on sort of three aspects of my career. First is as a practitioner, uh, general practice up in Cumbria. Second, I was on BCVA Council, <clears throat> and uh, that was a great experience. And if you ever have a chance to, to go on to Council, take it, because you'll, you'll see a different aspect of the industry and how the veterinary profession interfaces with public health uh, and, and health as a whole, one health. And thirdly, uh, latterly in my career, uh, set up a consultancy company and I've done quite a bit of work throughout Europe. And it's been very interesting sort of comparing and contrasting what happens in the EU and how we approach our antimicrobial usage compared with them. So, summary of what we're going to cover. How do we arrive at this position? You've heard a lot of that, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail. European situation, how did they fare? What were the outcomes? Opportunities and approaches for the profession going forward. The new technologies that are going to be available and what does the future hold post-Brexit? So how did we get here? Increasing awareness. Uh, MRSA was hitting the headlines 2001 onwards. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I was in council 2007-2010. Sort of, I was in medicine group, so I was intimately involved with that at that stage. Um, the O'Neill report came out, and I think I was really quite surprised when I read the O'Neill report as the detail that, uh, that he went into. And what struck me um, with that report was that they actually put in black and white that a lot of medicines are used for management purposes. And that was a profound statement. When I was in council, we had to vet everything to make sure we didn't put anything in the public domain that could be misconstrued. So for O'Neill to come out and say that, that was a, a bold statement. And I think to a certain extent it went unnoticed in the profession. We all know it in the profession. Our clients all know what's happening. But the public probably don't. And if you ever have a, a dinner party or talk to some friends that aren't in the industry, you know, they don't want antibiotics in their food. Lesson. 1% of the UK population is involved in agriculture. You know, we're a minority industry. Then obviously got Ruma, which has got some good uh, targets. We all know about them. And Red Tractor came on board um, last year. And that's really given a lot of momentum to the, the whole antibiotic story. <clears throat> then we've had One Health. You know, we've all seen the, uh, the posters here. Um, Obviously, human uh, intervention is your biggest risk, so the medics are having to improve their prescribing practices. But bang, there we are, overuse of antibiotics and farming. Also, vet-specific guidelines from WHO. Use antibiotics for treatment, vaccinate when we can, <clears throat> promote best practice, adopt sustainable systems. So... You know, that's where we're, we're all trying to get the common target. Then BVA with the posters, 
you know, species-specific guidelines, antimicrobial guardianships. So we all know that. So what did, they, what did our European colleagues do? Um, quite interesting. Netherlands is obviously a good example. 2007, their antimicrobial sales were an all-time high. That was the stimulus for the change, though. Their, their, their surveillance data, 100% broiler farms, ESBL positive. And in, in the Netherlands, they realised that exports are so important to their industry, they had to do something. So it's interesting when you talk to your, your colleagues uh, in the Netherlands, and I, I just mentioned earlier on, it's actually a really good idea if you ever get the chance to go over and speak to some of the, the vets over there. It's, it's really interesting. But they had a joined-up approach, agreement between farming and industry. Um, and that sometimes causes me a little bit of concern in the UK in that some of our farmers are engaged with that concept. You know, we don't have that full buy-in yet. Mandatory targets were put in place. We've got the M word. Legally binding measures. So there was a bit of uh, hefty legislation at the back of this. Had to have transparency of usage, benchmarking. Just put in some figures there. I don't know if you're aware of the, the intervention points, but these get reviewed annually. But the legislation was important. One-to-one -one contact with a farmer and vet. They had mandatory treatment health plans for each farm. Uh, preventatives antibiotics are banned. FQs in third and fourth gen. CEFs, strict controls, same as ourselves. Very farm-specific protocols and individual vet accountability. <clears throat> so that's interesting, you know. If the, uh, the farmer on his benchmarking goes over the, the target and you get the phone call from the department, you can't quite say, uh, he's on holiday this week or it wasn't me. There's an actual specific vet for each farm. And I think that's something that we'll probably see coming in. And I'll come back to that later. Individual accountability is critical. So here's the targets. This is what happened. 20% reduction in 2011. 50% by 2013, 70% by 2016. That's, um, you know, multi-species usage. Dairy sector, and this is an interesting number for yourself, Alice, 35%. So we're hitting the numbers. <clears throat> and when you talk to the, your colleagues in the Netherlands, you know, how did they manage that? It was, again, the easy hits. It was just... Um, they didn't realise how much product was being dispensed and how it was being misused. So the first thing they'd done was just tighten up on what they were doing, having talked to people, dispensing doses rather than bottles, just simple things, but they got there. So the impact, and again, this is back to something you mentioned before, Alistair, there was an impact, reduction in broiler units, pigs, veal calves, so use less antibiotics, resistance drops. And you can see that time and time again throughout the world, whether you look at Danish data or North American or whatever. So you can have an impact. It's not a lost, uh, lost cause. So important to know that Dutch legislation is for, not only for livestock but for companion animals. 
this, this is just a sort of personal communication with some, some of the guys over there. Also maintaining the legislation. Um, 2017, there's been a bit of a crackdown. Some fines were given out. So it's significant stuff. And practices who were almost totally denying testing before dispensing treatment were prosecuted. So that's a bit of a different landscape from what we have in the UK. In Denmark, um, it's also another country I do a little bit of work in. Um, slightly different situation, so sits sort of has a unique relationship with the EU. Uh, but they were been monitoring antibiotic usage since the mid-90s, uh, typical Scandinavian sort of situation. They had mandatory reporting of usage, end-user data. Alistair touched on the VETSTAT, um, integrated data recording system they have in the, in the country. Legislation similar to the Netherlands, clearly defined protocols for VET visits. And this is really interesting, actually. There's just not enough time to cover it in half an hour. But it is worth, and I would encourage BCVA to, to make contact with the Danish colleagues, because there's some really good protocols for farm visits set up. You go on your monthly visit, you've got so many cows, fresh calf cows you've got to examine, dry cows, what samples to take, what your intervention points are. So it's very good. It's just set up, ready to go. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And clearly divine protocols for antimicrobial usage. Uh, and they can, you know, a lot of people think Scandinavian countries are not allowed to leave product on farm. In Denmark you can, but it's very, very clearly defined. So there is a bit of usage that the farmer can have access to. So again, a lot of controls and some legislation. Recommended markup in drugs. This is not going to please a lot of people here. 10% if you dispense, 20% if you have emergency use. So if it's out the back of the car, the vet can mark up the drugs 20%. If it's dispensed from the practice... 10%. So when you talk to your Danish colleagues, they don't want to stock drugs. It's just too much hassle. Second comment is, we had to learn how to charge our time. You know, it's all time-driven. And when you walk around Danish vet practices, it's, it's, it's weird because there's no pharmacy. It's just a, it's a very well-run... Uh, usually um, equipment store, but there's no pharmacy. Then we had the VETSTAT system, which is a, a fully integrated uh, data recording system, and that's your distribution uh, of product into the marketplace. So 95% of product goes through the pharmacies, 3% through veterinarians, and 2% in feed. goes into your, your VETSTAT. So, complete traceability of all antimicrobial usage. And it's on your passport. So, <clears throat> when you talk to uh, the Danes and ask them if they would like to accept product from a non-EU country which doesn't have that providence, uh, three guesses what the answer is. You know, we need to catch up. So back to the UK, uh, we've got the rumour targets, which is great. We've got this 21 megs PCU, 
coming up, 2020. Obviously, we're all using the uh, online programmes. This is an excellent uh, tool, the Nottingham tool. This is just looking at some data sets within a practice. Again, your CIA usage. So a fantastic programme, and if you haven't used that yet for your hard health programmes, I would strongly encourage you to log on. It's a free programme and just start using it. It's, it's really useful. And obviously, more recently, we've had the Red Tractor Beef and Lamb Assurance Programme. And, uh, you know, our beef and sheep clients are really struggling with the concept of medicine recording. So they're going to have to catch up. Now I want to take you to a little bit of a more scientific approach. It's worth looking at this antimicrobial resistance system map. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful. And this is a bit of a complex uh, flow chart. But there's a couple, there's a couple of um, pathways I want to take you through. First one is, you know, what we all think as vets. We have uh, the animals, then we're going to the abattoir, meat products, and then human. So that's what we're thinking about. That's what we all have as a conception of how we're going to get resistance into our uh, human population. And obviously we're concentrating in this area. Where our job as a veterinarian, you know, improve knowledge, understanding of antimicrobial resistance, stewardship programs, and Alistair's one is an excellent example. Education, prescribing practices, infection prevention and controls, guidance and best practice. And I think, um, again, when you travel through Europe and look at their farm systems, um, you know, they have a whole variety of different sizes of herd. Uh, dairy herds from 70 to 200 cows would be your average, but obviously up to some of your larger five, 600 cow units. They don't have too many mega units. But all those calves, those black and white bull calves, tend to go into a massive fattening unit, maybe three or 4,000 head, and they have minimal antibiotic intervention. And one of the key areas, I think, looking at their systems, is just the, the, the health status of the national herd uh, and their husbandry practices. They've just borrowed, they've borrowed a lot from the, the pig and poultry sectors, all-in-all-out systems, hygiene, batch management. And that really is it's worth taking a trip over there to, to look at how they manage it. But also we're advising on vaccination, hygiene, biosecurity, nutrition, housing, stimulating antimicrobial diagnostics and novel therapies. That's, that's the space that I kind of occupy. So what does it mean? Well, once you've been over there, let's just do the simple things well. We've got the science. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, good husbandry. Rachel Hall yesterday had a really, very good presentation in postpartum checks. It's a good, good practice. It's, it's just the old nuts. Colostrum, bedding, 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 hygiene. I think a lot of our farmers have forgotten about a steam cleaner and putting disinfectant in it. You know, a couple of our guys actually steam cleaned their sheds out and, lo and behold, didn't get watery mouth or joint ill. You know, it's just some of the basics that we've forgotten about. Stocking densities, all-in-all all out systems, batch management, nutrition. For, for us as vets, and again, this is, I think, where the, the Danes and the, the Dutch really score over us, is, you know, obviously BVD accreditation, UNIs. We can discuss the UNIs thing. IBR, Salmonella. 
IBR and Salmonella, I think, go dip below the radar in the UK. Um, and it's interesting talking to some of our Danish colleagues, the impact with their Salmonella eradication program, they feel that the benefits on herd health are as significant as a BBD control program. You know, it slips below the radar. And talking to uh, Colin Mason uh, about salmonella control programs, I think that if, if, if I have a mindset of it's a kind of combination between a BVD, spot the PI cow, and the Yoni's control program and the cabin boxes, you're a long way down the road of a salmonella eradication program. So it wouldn't take much to actually implement these, implement these programs on your farms. The Danish comment. But, as Christine mentioned this morning, maybe we should just be more pragmatic and just say it's lameness, mastitis, pneumonia, skiller. And they're the easy numbers. You know, by far in a country mile, you know, mastitis and dairy cows, pneumonia and your rearing systems are going to be your major antibiotic usages. So, and also, should we treat? You know, there's a, a huge amount of discussion about gram-negative mastitis. Peter Plate had a, a great presentation yesterday. Lame cows. How many times, how many bottles of Thailand do you need to put into a lame cow before you, you make the decision? Repeat mastitis cases. Repeat pneumonias. Some of our more switched-on clients won't treat their dairy heifers more than three times for pneumonia. They just never perform. So maybe we just need to drill down in the data and actually justify why we, we should withdraw treatment. Repeat scar cases as well, those chronic cryptos. Diagnostics, uh, obviously there's going to be more diagnostics. Like to, it's, uh, we'd really need to support our, our VI and, uh, service and the, the diagnostic labs. Cowside tests, they're coming along. Uh, there's now an, an in-house PCR testing kit you can buy, 15,000, 20,000, size of an IDEX blood analyzer. Stick your, your multiplex PCR test reagents in. You don't need an airtight positive pressure room. So that will come into practice. Turn around samples in 85 minutes. That's PCR technology. The other thing with PCR technology is, and this is an area spending quite a lot of time, is it just opens up a whole lot of opportunities for practice and vets. Um, we all have those cases that die at half past four on a Friday afternoon. And you think, oh, well, what am I going to do? PCR technology opens up a few doors. You can take your samples, store them in the fridge, send them off on the Monday morning. It doesn't really matter if we've had antibiotics or not. You'll still get an answer. So PCR technology, I would strongly recommend keep an eye on that space. And this is an interesting paper from Ireland where they compared PCR with um, bacterial culture. And the result was 4% bacterial culture, 23% with PCR. So you'll significantly increase your uh, diagnostic rate. Novel vaccines, new vaccine technologies. I mean, the new vaccines are fantastic. Uh, Vivelab, Startvac, Ubvac, Vimco, Somni. Strong technology, giving strong immunity. Uh, one thing you might not be aware of is importation possibilities from 
within the EU or from North America. And the VMD have found them to be very um, cooperative when you've when have looked at novel vaccines. So do ask the questions, do get on the internet, have a cruise around, look at what's happening in North America, elsewhere in Europe. And these are a couple of vaccines we have imported. There's autogenous vaccines, which are actually remarkably easy to make. And Tim Wallace at uh, Ridgeway would, uh, would give you plenty of information and hold your hand on that. The mycoplasma and multocida ones are particularly good. Other new technologies, there's all this software coming along. You know, it's all happening. should be using that in our practices just to help us with data analysis and understand where we're coming to. So what for the future? Brexit, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, Denmark, Netherlands, further ahead with their control programs, data recording. Is that going to be a trade barrier? I'm not going to ask Christine in the front, second row here. But traceability of antimicrobial usage is going to be obviously a question that's going to be asked. Yeah. Um, well, the trade is Europe, so your Europe position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's one of the 27 states will have to agree. Yeah. yeah. And come to a Yeah. TB, BSC yesterday. Can we make it all work? Well, we can. We've seen the improvements in the, the Netherlands, but also in the UK, uh, we can make it work. This is the MRSA control measures that are put in place. Uh, and it shows a d dramatic decline. When I was on council, uh, we were down at um, 2010. But I wanted to show you this slide just because it gives you a flavour of some of the stakeholders' viewpoints. 2004, announcements for a reduction. 2005, they saw that there wasn't going to be a reduction taking place, so additional measures were put in place. But 2006, weren't happy, so they made a shift. The chief executive of each trust would assume personal responsibility. That personal responsibility thing coming up again, and a big stick. So that, that, that's when I was in council, and the comment from some of the stakeholders at these uh, public health meetings would be, if you want to make a change, legislate. So I think we've got to be careful as a profession how we handle our antimicrobial usage. The other thing I want to just quickly touch on is uh, something that Christine mentioned this morning, which is the environment, and possibly explains in a bit more detail why we are restricting dry cow tubes. We've already um, touched on the, the main pathway there. Another pathway, which is the environmental one, and what, uh, when I was doing some background research for this, there's a huge issue of environmental contamination with antimicrobials or MRSA or ESBLs. I think we, we don't appreciate it as vets. And also we have to be careful of our farm staff. There's a couple of papers which should be worth looking at. It was published in 2018, this one, which was a Relatedness of ESBLs, E. coli, from humans, animals, food, and environmental uh, analysis. Uh, it's a bit of a complicated picture, but essentially the two summaries were there's a close human ESBL gene similarity between human and farming communities and their animals. So the poultry farmer has a similar resistance pattern to his chickens. The cattle farmer has a similar resistance pattern to his calves. Second thing was isolates from humans in the general population had a higher similarity to those from human clinical settings, surface and sewerage water, and wild birds. 
So we're all getting infected from water and the environment. So we have to be aware of that. And that's where, you know, chucking our antibiotic foot baths in the slurry tank maybe isn't quite working as well. The second important thing I think I'd like to share with you is the, this paper, which is looking at the multiple host sharing long-term persistence and virulence of E. coli from human and animal household members. And this was a study where they looked at a family group and the spread of resistance between the family members. So with the dog, mother and father, week 79, transfer to daughter one, daughter two and son, week 157, everybody had cross-infected each other. And I think we have to be careful here that when we're dispensing antibiotics on farm, we're putting our farm hands at risk, the farmers themselves, because they reflect the resistance pattern of the stock they're looking after. But it goes further than that. They're bringing that in the house, if you like, and cross-infecting their family members. Um, and it sometimes makes me a little bit worried when I see practices dispensing chloramid or in-feed antibiotics that, you know, it's maybe a cheap fix for their calf pneumonia, but if father's over 80 and he gets a septicemia, it's maybe not such a good idea in the first place. Or more importantly, several of our clients have got children with lymphoid le le juvenile leukaemia on chemotherapy. Wouldn't be very good if they got a, a cross-infection. So take-home message, we can have an impact. We're part of the bigger picture. We have a great opportunity as a profession, but I think we've actually been slow to the party. Uh, when I was in council in 2007, this was all kicking off. And I think the profession should really have engaged more energetically sooner. Retailers, as Alice had mentioned, have really been the driving force. Um, will legislation follow? I'm not sure. Individual vet accountability, I think that will probably come. Um, and as we've seen in the Netherlands, Den Denmark and MR MRSA controls, you know, some big sticks get thrown about. So are the days of retail practice over? This is a sort of standard practice. Turnover, 59% drugs. Is there a conflict there? Yeah. So we've got to ask ourselves, is there a conflict there? <laughs> <laughs> it depends, depends how we're justifying the use of dispensing of our product. If we're saying we're doing practice and best practice, we're uh, encouraging our farmers with nutrition, hygiene, batch management, da-da-da-da-da, vaccines, we're still up to use product, that's fine. If vets are trucking down farm lanes, leaving priceless around, or using it as a, a bargaining tool to gain business, I don't think that's so fine. And some of the quotes I come across are, you know, if I don't do it, the practice down the road will. I don't think we can really justify that. Or, nice idea, Colin, but I make more money out of antibiotics. That, fortunately, has disappeared. Why should I promote vaccines? They're going to land up on the internet. Or what, the most recent one is, what test do I need to do to ensure my clients can keep using CIAs? I think some members aren't just getting the message. So this is Niels from Denmark, and I just wanted to introduce you to Niels. And Niels' comment was, uh, of course I remembered the lovely dinner, I can't get past that. I should be pleased to help you to convince the British colleagues that a vet life without medicine sales is a more satisfying vet life. So those guys can manage it. 
I just wonder, if we don't manage our antimicrobial usage, we might be there with Niels and using what he's got in the back of the car. Thank you. I'm just going to take one question, if that... Well, this won't be a quick question. Uh, you can wait, Andy. I'll have Rebecca over there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a comment, really, about um, your points on the Netherlands. Um, Absolutely, we can learn a lot from it. Um, But we have to take what they did within context. So all the changes that they made legislatively were done within the reset model. So there was a lot of support for industry as part of that. And so we can't look at it in isolation. Also, um, I was very fortunate to meet with the Commission recently when they came over to do their... um, uh, mission. What was it called, Elizabeth? I can't remember. Anyway, they came mission. over. It was called a mission. It was a yes. mission, yeah, wasn't it's it? Interesting terminology. Uh, they, th- they think we're absolutely bonkers, but also can't say anything wrong with what we've done because we haven't legislated yeah. and we have made some really, really great improvements. So I do think that there is a lot to be said for us sharing what we've done as well. Um, and yeah, learning they couldn't from comprehend the voluntary approach. No, yeah. they thought we were nuts. But um, thank you for that. It was interesting. And Andy yeah. has promised to be quick. Andy Biggs, Tivers and Devon. I thought actually you were going to say what I was going to say, but you didn't, so that's why I wanted to come back. And I think you're absolutely right. Colin and I also work in Denmark and Holland, a place like that, and uh, we don't tend to have a a mentality of eradicating diseases, sadly. I know that might be changing slightly with the odd one, but in Europe they do. But I think my point really was, and I know the people who were involved in the Dutch reduction are very serious, and I think what really needs pointing out is welcome to our world. They were were twice what we were. So just put it in context. What they've done is excellent. But they came down to our level. So it's quite easy to make reductions when you're all twice yeah. our level. So yeah. I just wanted to put that caveat yeah. in, really. Thank you. Well, okay.